All right, so we're in uh, Genesis chapter 2 this morning. We're starting Genesis 2, um, and we're going to talk about the day of rest, which seems like good timing, because a lot of you look like you could use a good rest. <laughs> um, we're going to remember that on the seventh day, God rested from all his work that he had done. And I want to start off by sharing a little bit of my own story as it relates to the day of rest. So as you can probably hear, I grew up in England, and when I was a child, both my parents were Christians, and we would walk down the street to our local village church every Sunday morning for worship. Um, and then afterward, we would come, come home for a huge Sunday lunch. This is like an English tradition. It's usually roast lamb or roast beef with Yorkshire pudding and gravy, and it was the best meal of the week. And then after that, we were very full and satisfied, and we would relax together in the afternoon, my brother, my sister, and my mom and dad, all together. Um, and we'd often go out to visit a local castle, or a cathedral, or a country estate, or a botanical garden, any one of the several hundred beautiful places that are always within a half-hour drive of any spot you might find yourself in England. <laughs> um, and I never got the sense that my parents were religiously guarding their Sabbath, but um, I never remember them working on Sundays. And I remember those family days together very fondly. Sunday, in my memory, was the best day of the week. Um, so that was basically my pattern and my habit every week until I went off to college. And then in college, I started to experience the pressure of time. So um, I went to Cambridge, which is one of the best universities in the world. Um, and I was surrounded, yeah, well, <laughs> and I was surrounded there by highly driven and ambitious people who were so much smarter than me. Um, and Cambridge has three terms a year, not two, so it's got uh, trimesters instead of semesters. Um, and each one is only eight weeks long. And an unbelievable amount of life and learning happens in those eight weeks. Every hour is precious. So um, I started to experience the tug of war of wanting to use Sundays to get ahead on my work. Everybody around me was doing it, and I felt like I was falling behind. And I didn't really care very passionately about Sabbath for any theological reason, so I started treating Sunday pretty much like any other day. Once I was done with church in the morning, off I went to my books. And that was fine for a while. Um, but toward the end of my first year in college, I came to a new conviction about keeping the Sabbath. And I can't really remember what prompted it. Maybe it was a book I was reading or a sermon I listened to. Um, but it convinced me that in order to honor my Lord Jesus, I needed to keep the Sabbath as a holy day of rest. And that was hard for two reasons. First, because I really didn't want to rest, <clears throat> and I felt anxious about my work falling behind. But the other reason was that I'd really forgotten how to rest. And the Sabbath day just felt boring, like it was a waste of time. But I did it, and I stuck with it, and before long, I'd grown to love it. I found that my Sabbath days were refreshing me in body, mind, and spirit, so that I was getting as much done in six days as my peers were doing in seven, maybe even more. And I was learning how to rest in ways that brought joy and refreshment and creativity. And I felt like I was much more human as a result. And it was in those days that I met Sarah. Um, and she was one of the rare people in college who was resting on Sundays too. So that became a natural reason for us to hang out. And in the fullness of time, we started dating. And pretty soon after that, we took a trip to America. We visited New York. And it was my very first time visiting the country that I would one day live in. 
And during that trip, we found ourselves in Central Park on a Saturday morning. And that was the first time I really saw Sabbath being lived out in a community. Because the Jewish community of New York was out there in Central Park on Saturday morning, keeping the Sabbath. It was a really beautiful day, and they were to be found in the park. Families playing and picnicking together, friends walking and talking. And as I watched that, my heart felt really hungry for the rich culture that they had inherited. Mm -hmm. So back in Cambridge, after Sarah and I were married, we tried to commend Sabbath keeping to our friends. Uh, we were renting a really beautiful house with a garden that backed onto the river, and we advertised to our friends that we would have open house every Sunday afternoon with games and puzzles and music and sports in the backyard and walks along the river to rest together as a community. And we thought this was a great idea. We loved it. Um, but in reality, hardly anybody came. Um, I remember one Sunday where one guy showed up. Uh, but really, that's about it. Um, we couldn't sell the idea of Sabbath, but I still haven't given up trying to sell it, and I'm going to try again today. Bring the preacher. So we're looking at the beginning of Genesis 2 today. You can open that up. Um, and we saw a couple of weeks back when we studied Genesis 1 that God created the heavens and the earth through processes of separating, naming, blessing, and commanding. Do you remember that in Genesis 1? And by those processes, God turned chaos into cosmos. And what we saw is that really the difference between order and chaos boils down to boundaries and names. The right boundaries between things and the right names for things are what turn chaos into order. So God said, light here, darkness here, water here, sky over here, land is here, sea is here. And then on the seventh day, he says, work here, rest over here. It's part of God's ordered creation. So there are three verses in Genesis chapter 2 that describe the seventh day. And I think in every way, these three verses belong with chapter 1. Um, chapter 2 uh, is like a three-line poem. It's like a little three-line description of the seventh day that's very repetitive. And it's even maybe a bit like a haiku um, of some sort. It has three lines, and there it is. Uh, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So in each of those verses, one key word is introduced for the first time. So in verse 1, the key word is finished. In verse 2, the key word is rested. And in verse 3, the key word is holy. And none of those words have come up in the Bible before this. So God has blessed other parts of creation already, but he's never called anything holy. So the three key words are finished, rested, and holy. And there are logical connections between them in the text. So verse 1, God was finished. Verse 2, God rested because he was finished. And verse 3, God called the day holy because he rested. That's the logic of the passage. So let's look at those three parts in more detail. First, God was finished. We read in the last verse of chapter 1 that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And here we read that God was finished. So we understand from these things that God had accomplished perfectly everything that he set out to do. There was no more creating to be done. 
And the Hebrew word for finished is kala. It means accomplished, done or ended. And the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, translates it using the form of the Greek word telos, which means something that has fully arrived at its intended end or purpose. We have a missional community called telos. Um, there are only three times in the Bible where God is finished with a project in this kind of way. The first is here in Genesis chapter 2. The second is in John chapter 19 verse 30 when Jesus completes the work of salvation by dying on the cross and he cries out, it is finished. The single Greek word tetelestai, it is accomplished. And then the third place is in Revelation chapter 15 verse 1 where the angels send the seven last plagues on the earth and it says that with these the judgments of God are finished. Finished. So the three great works of God in the story of the Bible are the work of creation, the work of redemption, and the work of final judgment. And two of these are finished already, and one is still to come. Now because creation is finished, we understand that God never does any more creating beyond sustaining his creation. And because redemption is finished, we understand that God never does, um, doesn't have anything more to, uh, sorry, <laughs> because redemption is finished, we understand that God doesn't have anything more to do in saving sinners other than to apply the finished work of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So these accomplishments are perfect and complete and eternal. And that is the reason that God rested on the seventh day. So Genesis 2 verse 2 says, And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So the second key word is God rested. Now when we think about resting, we usually do it because we're tired. But that wasn't God's reason. God rested because he was finished. The Hebrew word for rest, shavat, has nothing to do with being tired. It just means to stop or to cease. So that same word comes up again in Genesis 8, verse 22, at the end of the account of Noah, where God promises, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest will never Shabbat. They will never cease. And God says in Isaiah 40 that creating the universe didn't make him tired. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. So resting for God has nothing to do with tiredness or recuperation. It just means stopping because the work is done. The word rest follows the word finished. So this week I listened to an amazing song called God Rested. It's written by Andrew Peterson, who also wrote the song, Is He Worthy, that we sing here in Incarnation. And in the song, God Rested, Peterson compares the rest of God in Genesis 2, after the creation was finished, with the rest of Jesus lying in the tomb on Holy Saturday, after the work of the cross was finished. Because in both cases, God declared the work finished, and then he rested on the seventh day. And the song says that on Holy Saturday, the Pharisees were restless, Pilate had no peace, and Peter's heart was reckless. Mary couldn't sleep, but God rested. I think that's a really beautiful idea, that in the midst of people who couldn't rest, Jesus rested, because he was the one who knew 
that the work was finished. So in Genesis 2, God stopped creating because the work was done. So then what did he actually do on the seventh day? And the answer is that he enjoyed his finished work and he enjoyed himself. Our God is a celebrating God. He rejoices over the things that he has done and made, and he exalts and takes pleasure in them. But even more than that, God exalts and takes pleasure in himself. So we, we need to realize that the thing God loves most in all existence is himself. That's right. That would sound terribly arrogant and idolatrous if we did it. But of course it isn't for God. The only reason it's bad for us is that we are not the loveliest and most worshipful thing in existence. So to think that we are is a deluded lie. But of course God himself is the loveliest and most worshipful thing in existence. So what is he going to love or celebrate more than himself? If he loved anything else more, God would be an idolater. So God rested, he stopped so that he could celebrate his finished work and celebrate himself. And that stopping was in some way better than working. This is the third idea from verse 3. The third key word is holy. Verse 3 said, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the logic is that because God rested, he declared the day holy. That means he consecrated the day, he hallowed it, he sanctified it. All those English words mean exactly the same thing. They all mean to make something holy. And the idea that God makes things holy is enormously important in the Bible. Because God himself is holy. And that means he is separate and distinct from his creation. He was separate and distinct even before the creation fell. Just as the sun is separate from the moon, the light giver is separate from the light reflector. God has life in himself and we have his life in us. So then how much more separate and distinct is God from his fallen creation? How much more separate is his purity from our impurity and his light from our darkness. So if we ever want to meet God and not be burned up by his holiness, then we need to become holy like him. God says in both Old and New Testaments, be holy for I am holy. And his word says that without holiness, no one will see God. So it's really great news that God is in the business of making things holy and especially that he makes his people holy. That idea is splashed all over the Mosaic law, all over Exodus and Leviticus. The whole intricate sacrificial system was given for the purpose of consecrating the people, for making them holy. And we find lots of holy people and holy places and holy things all over Exodus and Leviticus. But how interesting that there's only one in Genesis. In the whole book of Genesis, this word kadash, to sanctify, shows up one time. And it's right here in chapter 2, verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, wouldn't we always say that the thing that's made holy is better than the rest? It's set aside for God in a special way. It's his portion, and so it's the best part. So then doesn't the holiness of the Sabbath day suggest that rest is in some way better than work, closer to the heart of things. 
We know that God is a worker, absolutely. He's a designer and a creator and many other things, and that's good, and it's part of his perfect nature. But when God stops work to celebrate his accomplishments and enjoy his own glory, that is somehow better. And we who are made in his image are also workers capable of almost infinite creativity and productivity, and that's good. But when we stop work to celebrate and to worship God, that is better. That somehow brings us closer to who we really are. Because we are not tools. We are not merely designed to be functional. There's a deeper purpose to our existence, and we start to discover it on the day of rest. So God established a pattern in creation of six days of work followed by one day of rest, and he wrote that pattern into the mathematics of creation into the mathematics of the moon. So from the beginning, the lunar cycle has governed human society. It's divided our year into months. The moon takes a full, makes a full cycle in about 28 days, and it has four key events, the full moon, the new moon, and two half moons of waxing and waning. 28 divided by four is seven, and that's why every culture on Earth has always had a seven-day week from the beginning. Everyone, one culture at least, has tried to change that. France, after the uh, revolution, they tried to make the week 10 days long. It was a total failure. <laughs> Seven days is written irradicably into the design of the world. So it's no surprise that God also codifies this pattern in Israel's law. The fourth commandment in Exodus 20, uh, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So notice how clearly this law recalls the history of Genesis 2. And God really, really wanted his people to keep the Sabbath. If you read through the law and the way that God supports it, it's one of the laws he's most determined that they keep. Um, and it took a really long time for them to get it. God had to patiently train them to keep the Sabbath. And the main way he did it was through the giving of manna in the wilderness. So here's what God did. He was sent just enough manna for each day. But he'd send twice as much manna on Friday, and none at all on Saturday. <laughs> and God told them, don't even bother to go out and collect manna on the Sabbath. There's not going to be any, and I want you to stay home and rest. But the people didn't get it, and they went out looking for manna on Saturday. And of course, they found none. And God also said, don't keep the manna overnight. It will go rancid and get worms. I'll give you just enough for each day. But they didn't get it. And they kept manna overnight. And lo and behold, it went rancid and it got worms. Except on Friday night. Anything they held over on Friday night stayed fresh through the Sabbath. Because the worms rested too. <laughs> so God effectively forced his people to into the Sabbath pattern of rest. It's the most babyish tactic he uses in the whole Bible. It's absolute toddler training. You will do what I say on this. And they finally got it, for the most part. There's one story in Numbers 15 of a man who went out to collect sticks on the Sabbath day. 
And the people brought him to the priests to decide what should be done with him. And God's command with this guy who picked up sticks is that he be stoned to death. What's it going to take for you guys to keep the Sabbath holy is the message of the Lord. Now, I want to make the case to you that new covenant Christians should keep the Sabbath too. And by that, I mean we should set one day in seven apart to rest and do absolutely no work. It's not a law, but it's a priceless gift. Here's why. Um, first, because the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. We don't keep the whole law of Moses, at least not if we're Gentiles, but no Christian would argue against keeping any of the other nine commandments. They're set apart as special in the law, and I think we should keep all ten. Second, because the Sabbath is rooted in a creation pattern. It's not an invention of uh, Israel's culture, it's rooted in a creation pattern, just like marriage. When we defend marriage, we do so on the foundation of God's creation of marriage in Genesis 2. So when I'm preparing couples for marriage, I tell them that the marriage of one man and one woman predates all human cultures. And therefore it belongs to all cultures equally. And no culture has the right to redefine marriage, and every culture has the right to receive it as God intended. And I think the same is true for the Sabbath. It's not an artifact of Jewish culture. It's written into our very creation. Third, Jesus and all his disciples kept the Sabbath. If you go back and study all the times Jesus is accused of breaking Sabbath by the Pharisees, he isn't actually defying Moses in any of them. He's only defying the oral Torah, the fence around the law, which Jesus called the traditions of men. In fact, Jesus kept the Sabbath, and so did all of his disciples. And we see that because none of them came to visit his tomb on Holy Saturday. And they didn't come because it was the Sabbath day. Fourth, Hebrews chapter 4 offers Christians the hope that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And what he means is heaven or the new earth. So if the weekly Sabbath is pointing forward to our final heavenly rest, then the practice of keeping that Sabbath today as a day of rest is training us for the future habit of heaven. Fifth, the practice of setting aside one day in seven to rest is consistently proven to be valuable in Christian experience. It's a way that is so much better than the world's way. When it's practiced, it consistently improves mental and physical health, not to mention spiritual health. Despite our fears to the contrary, it actually increases our productivity in work because it motivates us and gives us strength to work harder in the other six days. And if you want proof of that, then I'm going to point you to Chick-fil-A. All right? I think Chick-fil-A has now demonstrated this last point beyond any reasonable doubt. Chick-fil-A sells fast food for six days when everybody else sells it for seven. And in terms of sales, Chick-fil-A was ranked second on the national list last year behind only McDonald's. It sold $10.5 billion worth of chicken sandwiches. So Chick-fil-A made more money in six days than Subway made in seven. Chick-fil-A made more money in six days than Burger King or Wendy's or KFC made in seven. So don't tell me your work can't afford for you to take a Sabbath. It can't afford you not to. 
So I don't think there's any kind of law about this. I'm not commanding you to take a Sabbath. I think John Calvin was right that through Jesus, the Sabbath law has been fulfilled and we've entered into the eternal rest of God. That's true. But the Sabbath remains a pattern of our creation and a gift to all men and women. And when a gift is this good, it would seem to me that not opening and enjoying it is irrational, it's physically and mentally dangerous, and it's also dishonouring to our God, the giver. So I warmly invite all of you to scrupulously guard at one day every week for a Sabbath rest. And even if you don't call yourself a Christian, that's still going to be a good idea because it's a creation pattern. And if you are a Christian, then this, that is your right and your privilege as a liberated child of God. So finally, as I close, I want to recommend some ways for all of us to keep the Sabbath better. There are lots of ways for us to spend our Sabbath days poorly, and I've personally discovered most of them. <laughs> um, so it's not a day for just lazing around and indulging our flesh, or for doing the unpaid kinds of work like mowing the lawn and paying bills. It's a day for restoring our souls from the onslaught of the week. There's a book called The Common Rule by Justin Whitmore Early. I think quite a few of you have read it. Um, and there's a great chapter in that book on the Sabbath. And Early says that our souls need to do more than nothing. They need to do restful things. So in this sense, real rest takes real work. So the Sabbath is a good day to spend time with God in public worship and private prayer, to do what God himself did and celebrate his glory and his accomplishments. It's a good day to spend time with his people, eating meals and talking. It's a good day for asking, who's lonely in my community and spending time with that person? It's a good day for asking, how can I bless the poor today? The Sabbath is a gift of time to fulfill all of our best intentions. It's a good day to spend time outside, experiencing beautiful places without any particular agenda. And it's a great day for creative projects like music or writing or painting, gardening or woodwork, as long as these things are not part of your daily paid work. As long as you do them for the pure enjoyment and not for any other gain. Uh, so early in his book quotes a Jewish rabbi called Abraham Heschel who wrote that a man who works with his mind should Sabbath with his hands and a man who works with his hands should Sabbath with his mind and then early makes all kinds of other applications for that it's good I recommend the book um, I really love that idea I think it's very helpful and finally I think an important mindset of Sabbath is one where all the work is finished so that means feeling in your mind and heart and body the relief of having everything done. Accessing that last day of exams kind of feeling. Because that's really the truth. You have permission to rest because the work is finished. Everything that's truly important in your life is done. And we can live out of God's fullness rather than our emptiness. Your creation is finished and your redemption is finished finished and soon your vindication will also be finished and so when we enter the sabbath we can rest as if we have no other work to do ever so try when you're sabbathing not to look ahead to the coming week 
but instead to look back and celebrate your own real accomplishments in Jesus' name of the past week and remember all God's accomplishments on your behalf so that you can thank him and celebrate him and then you will find rest for your weary soul. Amen.